Welcome to the Media Scrum, everybody. I'm Don Porter, and along with my co-host, Mark Saul, we talk to interesting people who usually have some connection to the Utah news media. We sincerely hope you've been having a terrific holiday season. We have, and that's the reason we're revisiting one of the earliest episodes of the podcast from August 2020 with our friend Holly Mullen, because all the holiday stuff has taken up our time and that of our coming group of guests. Holly, bless her heart, was one of the first people we asked to be a guest on this podcast. Uh, she's a certified institution in Utah journalism. We got to know Holly at the Standard Examiner in the mid-1980s, and we've remained friends ever since. We hope you enjoy the conversation. So uh, so today, we, uh, we had a chance to talk to Holly Mullen, the great Holly Mullen. The, the, one of the very first people that we both worked with in the business, right? You, you, in fact, you worked with her a week before I did back in 1985. So I think I might be wrong. I shouldn't even say this. I'm, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure Holly had just finished up or was just finishing up at, I think she was at the Chronicle at one time, the student newspaper of the University of Utah, I think. Oh, I'm sure she was. Yeah. And I think that the year I started as a cub reporter at the, at the, at the daily Utah Chronicle, I think the year I started, I think that was her last year or even semester or something like that up there. And she has always just for me been, I mean, I'm not kidding. She's one of the best journalists I've ever worked with. And, you know, she's gracious and will tell you all these other people who are great and they are, but she's um, her, her um, her news judgment, her ability to suss out a story, um, it's she's right up there at the top. She's just really amazing. Just a great, great person too. I agree. I agree. She's just kind of the kind of the gold standard. We've been pretty lucky. We've we've known some really good journalists. Yeah, good people good people who are journalists yeah. and, but, but good journalists, people that could really do the job. And she's one of them. Um, I agree. I agree with you totally. She's, she's amazing. So, and I think that you're right. What you said, Don, we, you and I have been really lucky with some of the people that we've worked with, with the amazing yes. journalists we worked with. And if you figure that, you know, eight out of 10 journalists, are just amazing, amazing, amazing. And we've met, we've probably worked with those eight. That means the other two are us, buddy. <laughs> Damn, who knew? <laughs> what are the I didn't think journalists were supposed to be able to do math. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks for doing the math on that one, pal. Happy to help. Happy to help. Yeah, <laughs> that's, um, I mean, I've kind of from afar, uh, since she left the Standard Examiner, followed her career. Um, and she's, she's been all over the country. She's done all sorts of jobs. She's always been up for, um, whatever she's done. She's just, um, her, her ethics, her, oh yes, they're, they're impeccable. Anybody who would say to her, oh, Holly Mullen, she's just one of those fake news, you know, um, uh, uh, liberal journalists or whatever, um. Don't know what they're talking about. She may have, I mean, as a person, she may be liberal, but this woman knows that when you train as a journalist, you train to set your own um, uh, feelings aside and you cover the story fairly. And Holly's always done that. Yep. Now, having said that, her run as a columnist at the Trib was really good too, yeah. where she got to where she got to talk about the way she felt and the things that she the way she thought about different topics and whatnot. She was a, that was pretty memorable. I remember being excited to read her, her columns yeah. and uh, not too many columnists that I felt that way about you and uh, Holly and uh, you know, a few national columnists, but. Well, and that's why she, that's why I suggested we don't interview her for another year or two. So we're a little bit better at this because honest to goodness, I mean, um, watching her as a columnist and then watching what I do, I just have always felt like, oh man, you feel like, you feel like a kid who finally gets to sit at the grown up table the first time at Thanksgiving or whatever. And it's just like, oh wow. 
they get destroyed. Oh, well, you sell yourself way short, my friend. But I know how you feel because I sort of feel the same way. I, I just feel like uh, I'm, I'm really the least deserving of anybody for anything. I would agree but. with that. I would agree. <laughs> if you're looking for some Thank sort you. of feel-good stuff from me, yeah. I know you gave yeah. it to me, and that's what I was yeah. looking for. Thanks for, thanks for validating <laughs> my, not, uh, my belief. Not, yeah. I appreciate it. No, but she was fun to talk to, you know, and, and that's the other thing about her. I've always considered her a friend, and uh, she was a great um, – she was actually just a great mentor for yeah. me for my first my first uh, year or so at the at the standard when we worked together she was the assistant editor of the feature desk on the feature desk and and uh, so you know she edited a lot of my copy and and helped guide a lot of the early stuff that I did and I think it was pretty helpful yeah. I really appreciate it I still rem- I still remember um, how I felt fortunate to work with Holly Mullen yeah yeah. So 100%. And I didn't get to work with her. I never really got to work closely with her. I was always sort of in her orbit, but never really got close to Planet Holly or whatever. I mean, I was just yeah. always, I didn't, I was a sports writer when she was at the Standard. So, and, and didn't move over to features until after she'd left, which is probably why I got hired in features because she finally left and, and then they would go, okay, we'll hire this piece of garbage <laughs> sports writer. Because Ollie would have put an end to that. I don't think uh, uh, let's hire somebody with some real chops. Uh, well, that was another thing that I was a little bit, I was kind of surprised about that uh, people who listen to this will, will, uh, will hear it, obviously. But um, she had a lot of nice things to say about sports and about the importance of sports in our lives and the culture and everything. So um, that, was, that was really kind of a, Sweet surprise for me. I guess I hadn't realized I didn't follow her as closely as I thought I had. I didn't realize she had spent some time as the, the sports editor. You know, she really, man, she's done everything. Oh, yeah. I mean, when you think about oh, all the yeah. jobs she's held, it's just, I don't know. Yeah. Well, that's why I wanted to talk to her. I just, I just think she's one of the most impressive people in on the Utah media landscape. And now that she's, you know, on the board of directors for the nonprofit tribune, which is really unusual and interesting and everything. I just, I couldn't wait to hear what she had to say about it. And, and, uh, and it was really interesting. So hope people will, hope people will take a chance on this episode because I think she has a lot of cool stuff to say about the media and culture right now and where things are going and, and all that. I I taught one, you know, this whole adjunct professor thing, which has a little bit of trouble anyway, because of all the issues of displacing real professors and all that stuff. I think about that a lot, but many years back I taught, in fact, it was the very first Obama election. So that would have been what, 2008. Um, I taught a class with Mary Dixon, who's now retired, um, on media literacy in the honors college at the U of U. Oh, amazing. It was so much fun. I have to say she did most of the work, but, uh, you know, I, I did a lot of the talking and lecturing, but she did a lot of the grades and things, so I have to give her credit. But, um, <laughs> yeah, it was, it, was, uh, it was great. And I was just talking to my, my brother about this last night. He's here from California visiting for a couple of days because um, he was like, you know, he's a lawyer, and he, he, he was just like, I don't – why don't – why, why aren't there like real sources anymore in news and why, why is everything commentary and why, no matter what um, network you watch or whatever you stream, it's all opinion. And why, you know, how do you know what real news is? I mean, I was just like really organic talking with him. He's really smart. Um, And I, and I remember back to that class of how we kind of tried to get into that with the students um, of how you, how you can really, um, you know, sort of parse things out and how do you know? Well, I, you know, my fallback is always the legacy voices, you know, the New York times and the Washington post, but you know, that was 11 or 12 years ago. And so many of these newspapers now have gone out of business or they've, um, sort of, um, morphed into something else. And I don't know anymore what, I, I mean, I think I know what is real and what is accurate, but it's hard to explain it to people. Right. I think. Well, yeah. And it's hard to convince them, isn't it? Yes. Cause nobody believes anything anymore or 
they they know what they want to believe, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. if if anything challenges them even a little bit, it's just got to be fake. It's got to be false. Yeah. So. Yeah. So tell me about this venture you guys are doing here. This is Don's venture. Well, just along for the ride. Yeah. I'm here for I, the snacks. I, I yeah. talked on social media about it. They haven't followed. You've not done this very long, right? No, no. This is this this is. You're like the fourth or fifth person we've talked to. Why am I the fourth or fifth? I should have been the first. <laughs> well, <laughs> I told him. Tell you guys. I know. I told him because that. we were ner- we were nervous to talk to you, Holly, because we both revere you so highly. And <laughs> I told him to wait till our second year to talk to you because I don't think we're, I don't think we're ready to talk to you yet. Till your sophomore year. I know. <laughs> no, I mean what what? So obviously it's weird because. I, I haven't been a journalist since 2008 and now he's not a journalist. Um, and um, I, but I, but I'm on the other side now and I keep, I, I almost every day I look at the way journalism is being done and I wonder why it's being done this way. Right. Right. And I'm, I'm, uh, I'm not, uh, sure that this is all going to survive. And I worry that we're going to lose something that we may never get back. And I, so, so part of it is to document what it was mm-hmm. and to look back at what it was. Um, certainly to, to talk about what it is now. I mean, what, how, how the job is being done now and who's doing it and why are they, why they're doing it and what the ownership is expecting out of it and everything. And then what we can expect or what we think might happen, you know, going down the road. And, and I'm just, I'm just, I'm fascinated to know what people who've been in it and who are in it. Uh, what they think, how they think this is all going to shake out. And obviously, so you are like, I mean, you're on the board of the Trib and the Trib is, is, is it the first or second newspaper that's gone nonprofit? I think it might be the second. Is it the first? I should well, know. Well, I don't know. I, I mean, don't know, I, but it's one of the very I, pioneers. Yeah. I was thinking that there. I was thinking one of the Philadelphia papers might have done it, but I, I'm not sure about that. I thought they just spun their newsroom off, though, right? Because the the Trib did the whole thing, right? Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I, I was the thing I understood was that the Trib was the first newspaper to go completely nonprofit. That okay. there are other newsrooms that have spun off their their news departments, and they they have some sort of an agreement with the, yeah. The, so anyway, Holly, it's it's that nebulous. It's that I mean, I just I just think it's important to talk about and I'm still yeah. even though I've been out of the business all this time, I'm I'm still passionate about, you know, journalism being done and journalism being done well because I think it serves everybody. Yeah. So me too. And I and I often feel like just this old hack that is like, you know, oh, you guys, you uh, back when I was, you know, and um but I just I, whenever I tell people, you know, if, if anybody asks me kind of like about my career path or, um, you know, my bio or something, I, I always identify as a journalist of 30 plus years. And it's funny because it, it, that that's where I feel at home and, and most represented, you know, does that make sense? Yes, actually. Yeah. 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 That's how. Yeah. That's me. I, I identify, I identify as a journalist too. I mean, maybe a former journalist, but that's what I spent the bulk of my adult life doing. Right. Exactly. And, and I'm, I still believe in it. Yeah. I still believe it. It needs to be done and it can be done well. And I don't know. So, yeah. so is the, is the, so uh, what I want to know about the, the trib deal now is that, is, is this, is this something that's going to be able to, to turn it around, I mean, are you going to be able to? Is this going to be able to to rebuild the staff? I mean, can can staff writers and people on staff, editors, and whatnot, and they still expect to get raises? I mean, is this going to is this going to stop the layoffs? I mean, is yeah. is this going to is this going to rescue the trib, Holly? Um, I don't know. It's so um, it's so it's so nascent. It's so embryonic it's all those things you know it just it's 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 risky um we've been i was i was asked to be on the board and i was really honored um 
like late last year and we started meeting in January and we, you know, we're, we're having monthly meetings um, to comply of course with board and, and IRS rules and all of that nonprofit rules. But we've had a few, we've had extra meetings in the last like two to three months, a, a lot of meetings. In fact, it's interesting. It's a volunteer board. It's not paid. Um, and it's actually, I, I was griping a little bit a couple of weeks ago, like this is really cutting into my kind of my whole life. It's becoming almost like, you know, 25 hours a week and I have a full-time job and, um, but I think it will, it will eventually even out a little bit, but the, the sacrifice for that is trying to figure out right here at the ground level, how this is going to work. And, you know, there's legal counsel to make sure that we do everything according to, you know, nonprofit rules and comply with all of the IRS rules and, uh, and all of that, you know, a, a board, a, a set of bylaws, um, you know, gift policies, conflicts of interest, all those kinds of things that you have to really be careful with um, so you don't get sideways with IRS law. But to answer your question, Don, I hope so. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a new model for newspapers. Um, when I think about PBS and, and uh, National Public Radio and, and, and that kind of model, it's been going for decades Right, but it's never right. easy. It's never easy to do anything nonprofit, and people, um, the average person out there, is really pushed and pulled with, you know, where do they donate? How do they donate? You know, if you're talking about huge foundations or even here locally, here in Utah, the kind of the low hanging fruit has always been, you know, the Eccles, the Huntsmans, the Sorensons, the the people that you know, Zion's Bank, the people that you know you know, Gail Miller, the people who uh, are philanthropic and they fund community programs and projects, they do have money, but they also have good intentions and, uh, you know, love for other human beings. And, and we are getting some money from those sources, but there's a lot of other places that we're looking uh, and also just looking to people to do the, you know, 50 bucks a month or whatever people can do. Just, I hope I don't have to do any of those radio thons. That's what's actually, it was going to be my next question was, you get, <laughs> I know they hate this word, but what about a megathon? Like, like, I'm not like NPR does. I draw or the line. Sorry. I draw the line. If you want to pay me, you know, 400 bucks an hour, I'll do it. But, but I don't, you know, the, 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 isn't that the thing where you, you turn on KUER and even though you listen and, and I do give them some money, not, as religiously as I should, but, but you're like, Oh, just let me know when it's over. Flip the station, you know, yeah, yeah. Oh. I'll give you, I'll give you money to shut up. That's <laughs> what, like, yeah. Homer sure. Simpson did that once. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, I, now we're that, you know, now the Tribune is that, um, but I, I don't know right now I can say there aren't any layoffs in store. Um, there aren't any changes in store. I don't know that there are any additions in store. I, I hope there will be. Um, and there are a lot of interesting nuances about nonprofit work, um, like grant funded programs and positions that have to be really specifically tailored to some sort of, you know, like I, know, I think you've probably noticed if you read the Tribune, there's a whole um, report for America program going on and there are journalists funded, like we've got, one down, um, down in the, in, in like the, uh, Navajo nation and Southern Utah, Southeast Utah, covering a lot of really important stories about voting rights and access to water and, um, you know, COVID on the reservation and all of that. And, and so those things have to be really specifically tailored. You can't just, you know, pull money out of that to pay for right salaries for the copy desk or whatever, you know? So, um, there's a lot more, uh, I would say, stringent, really careful rules and, and, and laws about how we spend money and how we make money. Yeah. But you think it's going to work? I, You're optimistic. I am always optimistic. Why, are, why did we ever go work for newspapers if we weren't, right? Because well, you don't get true. paid well and you, and you are in this place. And even today it applies, I think. You're in this this place where you think, 
um, I'm just going to write about this and it's, it's, it's something that matters and maybe it will change. It might change the world or it might just change, you know, like one neighborhood. Right. I mean, that's what I always thought about. That's why I, I always liked it. So yeah. I hope so. Everybody on the board is really committed. It's a, it's a, I, I would like to have more diversity on the board. I'd like to have more people on the board. Um, we have um, the, the membership and I'm going to leave probably some people out, which is a disservice, but you know, I'm on the board, Jay Shelley, former Tribune editor, um, Angie Welling, who was with the Deseret News. Um, and then she worked for governor Herbert. She also worked for the, she was a spokesperson for the um, state corrections department. Oh gosh, who else? Oh, um, Lucy Cardenas, who is the owner of Red Iguana here in Salt Lake. Oh. Um, and gosh, I'm going to, I see, I'm going to leave some people out. Ashish Patel, um, who is a, he was a born and raised here in Utah. And he's a kind of a really kind of a tech genius wizard. He moved back to Brooklyn for several years and now he's back here. So, I mean, we've got, and I am leaving people out, but just so you get a general idea. And when I say diversity, I'd like to see, I'd, I would like to see more people of color. I'd like to see more women. Um, but right now we're, we're, we're at a good place where we can start the foundation for this thing. And then these, these positions last for two years and I'm not sure I can't remember on the bylaws I, that, you know, we may have an opportunity to be invited back. Um, but for right now, and gosh, it's already been eight months. It's gone fast for me. So we'll see. Yeah, that's incredible. Well, so um, I'm, I'm interested too in the, in the donations, cause I subscribe to the trip. I'm trying to help out. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so uh I get a little solicitation every once in a while asking me if I would like to give, you know, a little extra. Are there lots of, um, are there lots of subscribers, non-subscribers? There are lots of people who are giving extra. Do you know, do you get an update on that? We do um, at monthly and the, um, the uh, financial person, are like, gosh, I'm terrible. I can't remember Fraser Nelson, Nelson's name, you know, her position, her title. Um, but she's, she's great. She's been out raising money and doing all kinds of, not just locally, but, you know, kind of working out um, relationships with Facebook and, and other people or other organizations that the New York times were, we're doing a kind of a, uh, if you, if you give, if you join and, and give a membership fee, you, you also get the New York times for free. Um, so a lot of kind of promotional things. Um, so yeah, there's a, a lot of that going on. I, I mean, there's a first amendment society, which I joined because kind of usually when you're on a board, you either have to give or get right. Got to yep. give your own money or go out and raise some. So I'm giving a hundred dollars a month. Um, if you, if you give a thousand dollars a year, so a hundred dollars is just a little over that a hundred dollars a month, you get to be part of this first amendment society. And it's been kind of fun because there've been some zoom meetings like this during COVID, um, where, uh, we've, 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 well, the first one we had was about two or three months ago and it was a meeting just in like, kind of like this kind of talking about the foundation and, and, and the, and the nonprofit status and what we hope to do. Um, but I hope, you know, we'll have maybe speakers come and it, it, it's so weird with, with the pandemic because normally you'd, you know, you'd have a stage or you'd go to a bar or a restaurant or you would do something where, uh, someone could come and speak and people could ask live questions, but we'll probably do it like this until, until we get clearance that we're safe and we can do live events again. So, yeah. Yeah. Well now, so I'm wondering too, um, I'm sorry, Mark, I'm sort of hogging all the time. No, you're here. doing, you're doing great. I'm still in the, I'm still in the, I'm still afraid of Holly state. <laughs> I mean, I, no, I mean that. I mean, I, I, I'm not blowing smoke. I just Holly, you the newsroom at the standard, like just yelling at each other across the way with Randy Hollis and Dennis Larson and all those. Uh, you're, you're one of the first real journalists that I remember when I first came out. No, I mean that when I first okay. came out, no, I, I, and, and I'm not blowing smoke. You were one of the people that I just, from the very beginning, I said, wow, this oh. is the kind of journalist I want to be. Now I didn't make that, but I tried <laughs> I'm and, not sure about that, but you well, go ahead and I'm, tear yourself down. I'm pretty <laughs> sure because now I'm teaching. I'm off teaching. And here's an interesting little fact for both of you. So I worked at the Standard Examiner for 35 years. 
I started as a starting teacher at Ben Lomond High School, and although my yearly salary is a little less than I was making at the Standard Examiner, when you figure out it's for nine months instead of 12, my wife did the math. She's a CPA, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Which is why I live in Farmington. I couldn't live in Farmington if I were if it were a journal on a journal. Okay, I know. Yeah, I actually make more money as a first year teacher without a teaching certificate than I did after a thirty five year career in journalism. And wow, it's my own fault. But you know, that's just that's the sad state that it's in, and that's one of the reasons that I finally just left. Not the money. Yeah. But like owners of newspapers, a lot of them, they've just found a way to make these things a cash cow. Yeah. And without, well, I don't care. I don't work for them anymore. The company that bought the Standard Examiner, they have figured out a way to actually turn a profit with a newspaper. And mm -hmm. the way is you cut down to four reporters and no photographers and maybe two or three editors. And you put out a paper in a, in a mid-sized town like Ogden. And that's how they do it. And it's like a little cookie cutter, right? Because there are cities all over the country that, that are the si same size as Ogden or the, you know, the, the vicinity. And you can make it work and you can just plug it in, whether it's Utah or Nebraska or, you know, Illinois. You can make it work. Yeah. And they can get a little bit of it. They can yeah. get just enough money to make it, to make it pay. Because, mm -hmm. you know, I, you can't blame them. The standard examiner, if you were to believe the, um, the previous publishers uh, over the last few years, the standard examiner, when it was owned by Sandusky, it was losing between 70 and like $150,000 a month. It was in the red. They were, they kept thinking we can turn it around. If we keep plowing money into the standard examiner, we can make it profitable. We can make it profitable. And they never could. So I guess I can't blame them. You can't, you can't keep doing it for, for a loss. I mean, it's just, I don't know what the answer is. So maybe this nonprofit thing could work. I can't see anything else coming down the pike that that could save journalism the way this possibly could. Well, and I think uh, along with the nonprofit status, there really has to be a, a just a, a just an incredible like earthquake of change in terms of everything being digital and everything being um, you know constant constant filing of stories, promoting stories. I mean you know, all the big papers are trying to do that now and still stay competitive. And it's just, I don't know about you guys, but you know, I get lots of push notifications all day long and, you know, you get the times and the New Yorker and, you know, the LA times and just all this stuff coming across and, and we're people that love it. You know, we're interested. I don't know. I don't know with all this competition, who's going to come out on top. Um, and I, and I think the Tribune's greatest, um, what do I want to say? Their their greatest characteristic, or what might save them, what we're hoping is continuing to cover really local news and 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 culture and lifestyle um, in a in a in a really honest and direct and um, fair way. But you know, to really, I know a lot of folks are thinking, you know, the Tribune's just this, just this like institution that pokes at the Mormon church all the time, you know, but I don't yes, that's, <laughs> <laughs> that's what I've been saying forever. Yeah. Shut them down. <laughs> you know, but, but there is, there is a really cool, and I think the standard had it too, a uh, very cool um, way of, of, of looking at local culture in a way that matters and making people think and helping people think through some of these tough issues. One of the other problems is I'm just going to go freewheeling here now, jump in if you have a question or <laughs> comment or anything, but you know, the other questions are um, much of the staff at the Tribune and it was probably true at Ogden too, are aging. Aren't we all? Um, and we've got people like, you know, Peggy Fletcher stack who is revered as a really, you know, smart, thoughtful, fair, writer of religion, largely LDS, Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saint, re reporter. And, you know, Peggy's getting up there. Kirby is, um, you know, they're, they're, and then people that are really, really beloved. So what do you do? You know, you've got to start talking about uh, how do you replace these folks? You know, nobody's going to make anyone retire. 
it's against the law to force people out like that unless they can't perform. But, you know, I can't imagine that Peggy wants to work until she's 110 <laughs> or whatever. Right. Maybe. But you know, how do you do that? How do you replace someone with that much um, sort of, sort of gravity in the community and, and importance and, and, is able to parse some of these things. I, I mean, I'm not saying it can't be done. You just have to, they have to start. And I think part of the board responsibility will be talking about succession planning. Well, like, I was going to say, I mean, how do you, how do you, so, so you, you can't, you sort of can't do it the way that it was always done. And that yeah. was, you'd bring the young people in and not pay them very much, but teach them a lot. So mm-hmm. that when the old codgers like us decided to retire or died because we drank too much and smoked too much, you know, I mean, then, then uh, they would have that, they would have that knowledge to where they could, uh, they could, they could go forward. It's true. It's really important. And um, so some of the, so right now at the Tribune with the board, we're working through some job descriptions for um, some new positions, like a digital content manager um, and but but one of the very top uh, requirements for that person is to understand Utah culture and Utah history and Utah. Now, does that mean that person has to be from Utah? Not necessarily. Well, so you were a you were a you were a Tribune columnist for how many years, Holly? Um, gosh, two thousand two. I think it was like it was like five years. That was probably a record, right? No. <laughs> Not a record. I'm kidding. Paul Raleigh the record. Yeah, but still, I mean, and it's you so were, long. Ago. Well, but you were. Um, but what did you do? Yeah. I was. I was trying to think about this today. Um, what did you do? You did a number of things before that while you were at the Trib, didn't you? Were you the sports editor at the Trib for a while? I was. You guys, you know, you know, you you. If you don't know this about me yet, after all these years, I. I have basically, I have ADD about journalism. I just get bored and most general, but journalism jobs, it's things that like, oh, there's an opening, I can do that. It's probably weirdly um, uh, like narcissistic. Like, I can do that. Oh, I can do that, you know? <laughs> and um, in terms of the Tribune, I came back. I had been all over, kind of all over the country working for several years. I think, you know, I left the standard in the late eighties and, and moved to the Northwest and then kind of, you know, hopscotched across the country for several years, but came back here in uh, December of 1997. Oh my gosh. Isn't that so long ago and got hired at the Tribune as a social services reporter. And then I did take over the sports department as the editor. I will tell you though, I don't know enough about sports truly to be the like, the be all and end all sports editor, but I do know enough and love, I love sports and I do know enough that I thought, and I think did help with some of the writing and um, some of the coverage. And I, um, Jay Shelley, the editor at that time, who's remained a real mentor and friend of mine, gave me that opportunity to be the editor during the, the 2002 Olympics. Well, that's what I was and, thinking was that yeah, you were the editor so, during the Yeah. And so I branched off pretty much during that time. There was like a whole year kind of leading up to it. And then the actual Olympics and um, Kurt Cragthorpe, God bless him. One of my very favorite people in the whole world pretty much did the day-to-day sports that was still happening. And there were some things, you know, like the jazz and some of the bigger franchises took, took that time off. If you guys remember that. Um, But uh, I think the NBA in general, right. Didn't the NBA, I can't remember. Did they stop during? They probably did for a couple of weeks because they wouldn't have gotten any ratings. Yeah, so. exactly. And um, and Kurt kind of oversaw everything else. And so, um, yeah, and it was an amazing um, opportunity. And I learned a lot and worked with not only the sports department in the actual coverage of the games, but we also had that whole other news piece running about the kind of on the heels of the scandal. And it was right after nine 11, like, like literally like three months after nine 11, yeah. you know, four months and Romney of course took over and, and, and gets, you know, really truly gets a lot of credit. He didn't do it all on his own, of course, but he did certainly help us get through that period and put on a really good show considering the scandal 
the, uh, you know, the 9-11 attacks, everything that was surrounding it and, and, and the safety issues and all of that. It was pretty incredible that, that moment in time. Well, um, so uh, now you, you correct me if I'm wrong, because I may very well be wrong, have been most of my life. But um, so uh, how many women were, I guess, uh, your, was your title executive sports editor? How many, how many women were executive sports editors at a daily newspaper in Utah before you? Ooh, I don't know. None, I'll bet. Don't you think? Yeah. That was was like 2000 or 1999 when I got that position. Um, You know, Amy Donaldson Brass is at the Desert News and she's been there quite some time. I don't know that, I don't think Amy's been editor but she's really, a, she's a good, good writer, really a great writer. And a good yeah. Well, I mean, there've been plenty of, yeah, there've been plenty of female reporters yeah. and, and whatnot and done great job with their beat coverage and all that kind of stuff. But I was just thinking that maybe you had been uh, not only the first, but maybe the only. Um, I think I was, I, I, you know, with a little bit of a caveat, cause I'm not positive. I know when I started out my very first journalism job right out of college, I was so lucky. I don't know if this happens anymore, but I got hired right like two weeks out of college at the Deseret news and Linda Hamilton was on the sports desk, but I don't think, you know, she would fill in often as an editor when people were on vacation. But um, I think she, I remember she covered hockey and some other beats, but, but yeah. And again, don't ask me to explain every X and O of every game and every plan. And, you know, I can't, I really can't, but I, I know that I love sports and I always tease people. I'm just going to tell you that I'm the, I'm the person on the Tribune board that is really holding out for continued good sports coverage. There's all these people that are on there. They're like, yeah, sports. Oh, who cares? <laughs> And you know what? Look at the last, just look at the last few weeks in sports and tell me sports isn't life. Look at what's going on with Black Lives Matter and, um, you know, boycotting games and canceling games and Deloitte Hansen. You tell me that sports isn't life. I know you guys won't argue with that, but. No, not a bit. It is. I love sports. You can say. You know, you can say, you know, these guys get billions of dollars and they're just, you know, they don't really do anything and they're not educated or whatever. But when it comes down to it, um, the, 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 the games are important. The competition is important. We're all basically tribal in our own way and we love this competition. But then when we come to these social issues, oh, that's my phone. I'm going to go turn it off. All but, right. Answer it. Yeah. Just who it is. It might be somebody important. It's not important. You guys are important. I should have turned <laughs> off my sound. You guys um, talk amongst yourself. I'm going to go turn it off. Hang on. <laughs> okay, good luck. So why did you? Well, so why did you leave the Deseret News, Holly, and go to the? You went to the Standard from the Deseret News, right? I did, and I'm trying to remember why. It's so long ago. You guys are making me comb through the cob, you know, the cobweb. <laughs> I no think one knows just, why they went to the standard examiner. No, I don't. <laughs> I think it was just because it was kind of an interesting opportunity. I think it was, you know, it was, um, Don, you were there during when Fran Jacoby was there, right? Yeah. Yeah. Started. She hired me. Yeah. yeah. And, and you were her assistant, I think. Yes. And that was, it was a little step up, you know, it was an editing job and then it would, it would also include some writing, but I think I did mostly editing and um, I thought, well, that's something cool. I really should learn some editing skills. And and um, oh, that was that was a fun job. That was, well, that, I mean, that was a fun place. I remember, so I remember uh, the first day, the first day I was there, when I got hired, mm-hmm. uh, I got there and, uh, you know, they set me up with, you know, they gave me my passwords for the computer and all that kind of stuff. George Hamilton. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Was it? Was it yeah. Right? Yeah. I can remember that. That's funny. Yeah. And uh, and then I got in the car with you and Jane. What was Jane's last name? Oh my gosh, Jane Barry. Jane, Jane Barry. C. Jane C. Barry. Okay. All right. Yeah. So you you uh, you threw me in the back seat and uh, and drove me around Ogden. Gave me a tour of the whole area. We drove up to the Ogden Valley and everything. And uh, I just I still I still have a vivid memory of that. Uh, that car ride. It was probably a couple hours long and you were going all the time. You were just, it was a, it was like you were a tour guide and you were letting me know everything that was going on. And it was one of those. Oh, it was fantastic. It was fantastic. 
And I also remember the, about the second or third day, I remember, um, what do I do? Cause I was still trying to find story subjects and, you know, things to write about there on the feature desk. And I was really sort of like, I, I thought I'm going to get, I'm going to, I don't have anything to do right now and I'm going to get caught. And, uh, so they're going to say, Oh, we don't need you after all. It turns out. <laughs> and so I took, I took you aside and I said, this is going to sound really stupid, but I said, I'm having trouble, you know, figuring out how to film my time before I actually get ramped up and everything. And you're like, Oh, just read the wire. I, I read the wire all the time. Just read the wire. Did I say that? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I, I was like, cool. That. The assistant <laughs> editor has given me the dodge. I can just sit and read the wire. Great. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even remember that. That's so funny. And there's and there's like no wire anymore. Well, there is, I guess. But yeah. was, that was back then. It was like, was it still coming out on the tape? I mean, like, <laughs> no. Well, it was coming out on the machine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the tractor okay. feed, tractor feed stories coming across. Yeah, but you you could look it up on the electronically too. So, but anyway, that was fun. And Jim Salmon came. Right? Oh yeah, was he there? Oh. I can't remember. Yeah, yeah. Jim, Jim came. Yeah, and Jim was there. And Vanessa came. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Jane was there. Who else? Oh my gosh, um, Angie and Steve. Right. Yeah. From- Bob Anderson. Oh, Bob Anderson. I love him. Yeah. He's gone for many years now, but. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. he was fantastic. Didn't he drive. Was smart. Yeah. 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 Did not drive. No. I remember he used to, he used to, you couldn't smoke in the newsroom anymore, but he would light up and hold it. He would cup it under the desk. <laughs> kind of shake his hand. Yeah. And he lit, and he lit the, uh, he lit the garbage can on fire once. <laughs> he threw his butt in there when the editor walked by because he didn't want to get caught. <laughs> And he used to say to me, I'd just say something to him about his story that day or something, and he'd go, thank you. I love you very much. (laughs) He'd leave for the day and go, see you, Bob. Have a good night. And he'd go, thank you. You too. I love you very much. (laughs) I drove him. He was the religion editor. He was the religion beat editor. And I drove him down to the uh, church office building once because he had Uh to get a ride to go anywhere. And, uh, and he, and he chain smoked all the way down and, uh, and he was the, well, he was also, this is interesting and it's true. He was the high priest group leader in his ward. Oh, I didn't know he was even LDS. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And the Bishop knew he smoked. The Bishop would just tell him, yeah, just try to quit, Bob. You shouldn't, (laughs) you shouldn't smoke. (laughs) Try to quit. But we get down there and he goes, well, why don't you come in and meet those guys? And I'm like, oh, I, you know, I got, I got other stuff to do. Why? No, why don't you come in and meet him? And uh, I'm thinking, okay, well, now we both smell like we've been chain smoking all the way down here. And I know how these guys are. And, uh, and so he, he uh, and I go, well, uh, we kind of smell like we've been smoking, Bob, because you've been smoking. And he goes, ah, that's all right. Just take one of these. And he hands me a Tic Tac. <laughs> You're supposed to rub that on your body. Yeah. Oh, that'll do it. That'll take care of it. Yeah. 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 He was great. I know. And I don't, you know, I know he passed away many years back and I think it was probably living elsewhere, but I really, really liked him and all those sports guys and just, yeah. Just Richie and Randy Hollis. Oh yeah. And drama going on in the newsroom. You know what though? The standard examiner, um, I think partly because it was in that whole kind of 80s um, big photography era, big photojournalism era. We had some really good photojournalists. Some of the best. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm still friends. You you might be as well, but friends with Blair and and, um, I'm trying to think, well, gosh, Steve Jones. Remember Steve? Yeah. You know, we're still friends. He actually came to, to visit me when I lived in Dallas. This is you know, many years back now, like, you know, 18 years ago, longer than that, even 22. But anyway, he's, he's in Memphis still. He lives there. He does commercial photography. He's making quite a good living at it. And just um, really incredible people. Good. And we we used to run their photos huge. Oh yeah. Photos were everything. And then you just have a tiny little bit of copy to go with the photo and the photo story. Yeah, Yeah, that's true. That's true. Wall Street Journal. Yeah, yeah, I dug I dug something out. I dug something out of the files um, not too long ago. It was an interview I did with Bill Murray, and oh. his his it was a it was a tight shot, a portrait of his face 
that ran the whole above the fold. It was the whole thing. It was Bill Murray on the yeah. cover of the sta- on one A above the fold on the Standard Examiner, and that was all it was. Was Bill Murray? It probably that, actually that paper probably had pretty good street sales that day. I'm that. sure, right? It was because oh, yeah, because yeah, then we had you know we had street sales back then. Yeah, 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 and it mattered what you put in those boxes. <laughs> so you worked for a lot, but on the, and when you were, after you left Utah, you worked for a lot of alternative weeklies, didn't you? Or at least a few of them anyway, kind of, didn't you? You know, I kind of did this thing where I, um, so, you know, I was previously married to Glenn Warchell, who was also a reporter. Right. And Great we one. had the Deseret News. And, and so we kind of did that thing. And I don't know, I don't even know if it's possible anymore where, each spouse sort of took turns like, Oh, is there a job there? Well, I'll go there with you. And then you, you know, and I, and I think that's probably true in a lot of professions, but now with with the way, you know, newspapers and even television and broadcasting are going, I don't know how easy that is to do anymore, but we did do that. We, I moved with him up to Spokane and that kind of started in enforced this kind of movement to papers across the country. And I just can't even imagine anymore because it's not, it's not mobile like that probably anymore, but we ended up in um, the twin cities in Minneapolis and St. Paul. I took a job there and then we ended up in, in Dallas and Fort Worth and then came back here. So I think we were kind of away from uh, Utah and Salt Lake city for about 13 years, but yeah, I, I, I went to work um, at the St. Paul pioneer press, which is still in business um, and then worked there for about two years. And then there was this really fun, alternative paper called the twin cities reader it's long defunct now um but went to work there and that was really fun that was the first alternative paper i worked for and i had so much fun and i will say you know a lot of people think of alternative journalism which just doesn't mean anything other than you're not working for a like a legacy daily right um you know i mean if you want to say the atlantic is alternative journalism you know the new yorker is alternative and and it was really fun because I, I was fortunate to work for a couple of chains, actually chain newspaper, uh, chain companies like New Times in Dallas. They're they're not around anymore, I don't believe. I think they've all been bought out now. But um, where you had to do good journalism, and they were really careful about facts, and we had lawyers reading everything, and we wrote long form narrative that was really interesting and I learned a lot about um you know kind of like point of view journalism but it still had to be good and it had to be accurate and it wasn't just bombastic and crazy it was um investigative journalism at its best and I I enjoyed it well so um after you wasn't it now again Holly I don't know how good my memory is on this stuff Uh, after you left the trib didn't you go to City Weekly yes I did. I worked there for two years. Well, uh, didn't, you, didn't you edit the paper? Yeah, I was the editor. Okay. All right. How was that? Uh, you know, it was, it was great. I, I liked it a lot. And it was, um, it was nice to be approached for a job. I, I didn't have to go begging for a job. And John Saltis, and at the time it was um, Jim, um, oh, what was Jim's last name? I'm having a moment here. Um, he was the publisher. Uh, Saltis is, is and remain was and is still the owner. Um, and they asked me to come and work for them, and I was happy to do it, and it was fun. And then we um, parted ways about two years later, and I found myself without a job, and um, and that was really hard. Um, I was, like, unemployed for the first time ever against my choosing. And I never thought that that would even happen because I was always just like, oh, I'll just like, you know, move on and <laughs> I'll find something else. And um, and I'll tell you what, that that was a tough, that was right at the recession, 2008, 2009. And uh, it was, it was really hard. Um, I got, I got a severance package, but that ran out. And then I had to go on unemployment for several months and kind of pieced together some, you know, sort of piecework and did some freelancing and went to work uh, for about, well, for one legislative session for the Democratic caucus up at the state. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And it was just kind of like, you know, no benefits. It was all just, just, you know, hourly work. But man, it kind of taught me a lot about what, what people have to struggle with when they don't have 
a job or, or there's, and right now I think about it with all the people who have lost their work. Um, and, and, and you can't, you can't force a river. You can't suddenly make COVID go away and every job come back. Cause I think we all know that this is really changing the landscape in a dramatic way that I think there are a lot of businesses that will never come back from this. Yeah. You know? and a lot yeah of I've got a, I've got a, yeah, I've got a daughter who's, um, out of work uh, and she got, she went to a good school and, and she's been working steadily ever since she got out and everything. But now she says, uh, you know, got, she got laid off when her store had to close. And uh, she said now every job she applies for about 300 or 400 other people have applied for the job. Is that and your, is so, that Chelsea? Yeah. Chelsea who went to fit that one, yeah. the fashion person, right? Yeah. 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 So it's tough. Yeah. Day. Yeah, it's a it's a tough market out there. So and 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 to tell your kids, you know, I know you both have kids, and you know, follow your dreams and do what you have passion for, and and then suddenly what they have passion for dries up. Yeah. Well, what do you tell them? Even as a even when they're in their thirties, and they're you know, what do you you still want to support them, right? And and help yep. them in any way you can. Well, that's why, that's why I just um, when I left journalism in two thousand eight. Uh, it was right when everything was crashing and I'd been, I'd been in the interview process and all that other kind of stuff for several months beforehand, but it was right when everything was crashing. And, um, and I sort of, I've, I, I continue to have just a little bit of survivor's guilt. I got that job, but right after that was when newspapers really started to slide for real. And 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 you know waves of layoffs and everything like that. And, Are you taking so, credit for that? Is that the idea there? Oh, no, I'm just saying for the one time in my life <laughs> I got lucky. Journalism, yeah. journalism goes to hell. <laughs> I'm, I'm just going to tell. i say for the record, the reason Don came out on top is because he's a Wyoming boy. <laughs> they are they are hard scrabble. Those Wyoming people. They are <laughs> man, You know they're. Boom and bust, those Wyoming people. So that's why you did okay. Well, Hard scrabble is another word for just inside a homeless. <laughs> Hard scrabble. I think Wyoming is like, it, Wyoming's like the Galapagos of the U.S. They're like, they're kind of just on their own, you know, they sort of like do their own thing and they yes. all survive and, you know. The system yep. to itself. Really, yeah. really a bunch of independent folk. I've got still got a lot of family up north in Wyoming, and uh, they always look at me because I'm, you know, liberal, and and they just look at me like, "What happened?" You know, you went I to mean, the big city happened? and you got corrupted. That's what happened. <laughs> Apparently, that's probably what they believe. That's probably what happened. Actually, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's 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 yeah. It's just it's hard. I, I, everybody's having struggle right now. Obviously. Yeah. Right. Well, so so I got another question for you, Holly. Yeah. Um, do you think that do you think journalism is going to survive the Trumpist sort of uh, onslaught, the the fake news? The, do you think he's convinced enough people that the the that the press is illegitimate that that it'll never come back? Do you think there's going to be a permanent divide? Wow. <sighs> No, you know, I'm going to be an optimist here. We talked about that earlier. Um, but I do think I was, again, talking to my older brother about this, um, you know, this kind of slide of from reading. And he, here's one thing that kind of disturbs me. And I think we could all, you, you know, the three of us, our kids are grown and you guys have grandkids. I don't have it. You know, again, I said this earlier, none of my own little biological grandkids yet. I have 13 through Ted and I consider them my grandkids, but um, I, I think parents, especially if they, again, I'm speaking from a really privileged point of view, but we gotta, we gotta make our kids read and think, and we're all so busy and, and, and news, news and analysis and thinking about um, politics and who's making our world. It just kind of, it takes second and third and fourth and fifth place to all the other stuff. And, and I get it because people are busy and, and people who really need to have three jobs, you know, they can't sit around and make their kids read the New York times. Right. But somehow we've got to start realizing that there are really legitimate, thoughtful, 
analytical news sources. And it's not third and fourth and fifth source stuff that you see on Facebook. It's not, you know, things that you that sort of got made up and, and, and everybody just latches onto it. And I, I, you know, again, told my brother last night, I said, you know, when you go through a journalism program in college or you work your way up at a newspaper or TV or whatever, you do learn, you learn a code of ethics you learn about, you know, you can't just throw something in, in the paper and just let it stand unless you confirm it. You do learn things. It's not like you just can sit, sit around in your home office and write anything you want. And my, my, my hardest issue and my hardest challenge is kind of understanding, and even I have trouble sometimes cutting through that, right? Well, where did this come from? Who said this? Why did they write this? Where's the source? Where's the, you know, where's the disclosure? Who's behind this? And, and, you know, unless you're really geared and interested in that, it, I think it becomes very hard for people to tell the difference. That's really sad. Well, right? it is sad. One of the things that I've noticed with that whole thing in my last couple of years here at the Standard Examiner is that um, people, most of the conservatives who are saying that the Standard Examiner is liberal and that you're a liberal rag and you're not worth anything – the only reason they say that is because of a few things that run on the opinion page. When they read something bad about Donald Trump, that's what they get upset about. They're not upset about most of what we do. Every time I would have one of these yahoos call me on the phone, I would say, let's think about what your standard examiner gives you. The vast majority, 14 or five of the six pages, that's about what we're down to now. <laughs> they were down to now. Five of those six pages is local news, is what's going on at your school board, is what's going on at your um, city council meetings and stuff like that. Are yeah. you seeing that's fake? No, no, no. But, and then they tell you, you ran a column by so-and-so and they yeah. said something not very nice about Donald Trump and you're a liberal rag. And I think that it just, I don't know, it, it somehow you can't get past this idea of separating that opinion page from... I almost yeah. just wanted to say, you know what? We as the standard examiner, I'll just get rid of our opinion page. And maybe that would stop people from thinking that you're just a liberal rag. I think that's true of most newspapers in Americana, you know, like across the country. Uh, people, they still have kind of a hard time separating. Because I think if you read, well, I don't know. Everybody thinks the Tribune, for instance, is very liberal. But uh, I think, again, I'll say Huntsman, Paul Huntsman coming in, and now that we have the nonprofit, but he, he did work very hard to get more sort of divergent and diverse voices on the opinion page, you know, kind of thought provokers and, you know, some people that are you know, trying to express some opinions that weren't maybe always there. Well, I've been reading, I've been reading some stuff that says that, that, that claims, and I don't believe this was a conservative writer who did it. I, I believe it was a historian said Trump actually isn't the hardest, isn't the president who's been hardest on the press that they're, he's actually, he's actually, if you go back in history, um, Teddy Roosevelt and a couple of others were even harder on the, on the, and Lincoln, of course, during yeah. the civil war, harder on the press than Trump. Wow, really? Yeah, Joseph Smith. Yeah, Did there you, you like, go. Burn a press or something? <laughs> that ought to teach That's right. you. Don't mess own, with the press. They had their own paper, right? Was that the yeah. Exponent? The Nauvoo Expositor, wasn't it? Yeah. Oh, the Expositor. Okay. Something yeah. like that. Yeah. yeah. I actually worked yeah. for them for a summer. I <laughs> yeah. in Nauvoo. Yes, oh. back in 1847 or whatever. <laughs> I don't even know your humor well enough. I know. <laughs> if I have to explain Sorry. jokes, this is going to take a lot longer than we thought. Just reel me in. Reel me in, Mark Saul. <laughs> Sorry. Well, Holly, thank you for doing this. Yes. Well, I just love you guys. And I, you know, we're not talking all the time, but I follow you on social media and by the way, tell your wives how wonderful they are for putting up with you both for all those years. <laughs> I love them. Jan and Rugen, they're the best. Oh, thank you. Nice of you to say. Well, we've come to the end of another podcast. We uh, hope you enjoyed listening as much as we enjoyed talking with Holly. Um, as always, we'd like to thank Richard Smith for his excellent theme music. You can hear Richard's songs on Spotify. 
both as a solo artist and uh, with the band Montreal Blue. So until next week, here's hoping we all find some good news. For me, Don Porter, and Mark Saul, that's 30. That's 30.